Our topic this week is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, Hearing and Doing. This is actually the second sermon out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33. It's not dependent on the first one, so it's not a two-parter necessarily, just different verses from the same chapter. Starting in verse 21, And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, in the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. So one of the Jerusalemites, Ezekiel was in Babylon at that time, so one of the Jerusalemites during the captivity, or during the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, escaped, and I don't know why he went to Babylon, but he went to Babylon and, uh, and found Ezekiel and informed him of the results. Verse 22, the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped, and he opened my mouth, so when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. So God had shut Ezekiel's mouth, made him mute for a while, for a time, I guess the people weren't listening to him, so God said, well, if they're not going to listen to you, then no sense talking, and so he made him mute for a while, and then uh, the night before, God knowing, of course, ahead of time, everything that's taking place, um, opened his mouth so that he could now speak again and speak to the people, and then that next morning, the man came with the news. Verse 23, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham is only one and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. So again, God hears, he knows our thoughts, he knows what we're saying. And so God's communicated to Ezekiel and Ezekiel's now prophesying regarding those who are remaining in the land and saying, we're still going to inherit the land. It's ours. It was given to Abraham. He was only one. We're many. So we deserve it even more so than he does. Verse 25, say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood, should you then possess the land? And so it's good reasoning on God's part. You say you want to inherit the land, Abraham deserved it, and so you deserve it even more, but do you really deserve it? In the way you're living, do you think I'm going to give you the land? Just because you're children of Abraham, you think then you should just possess it, but there are so his reasoning is there should be a requirement. There are some conditions on you receiving the promises, not just because of who you were, your, your great-great-great-grandfather was, but you've been living horribly. And he lists three things here as reasons why they shouldn't possess the land. And some people today think, well, hey, God is just so loving that he's just going to open heaven to everybody. And he kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He kicked uh, Lucifer out of heaven with one-third of the angels. And so it doesn't matter how we live. The Messiah is so loving. God is so loving. He'll just love us all back in. And just love is just open doors. Everybody should just come. And, and we'll all just live in heaven together and all be happy. And God says, no, 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 no. I kicked them out for a reason. I'm not going to let you back in for those same reasons. You're not going to possess the physical land, and nor the eternal promised land, if there's sin on our record. If we're in rebellion against God, if we're in disobedience against God, he's not going to let us back in. And we look at the three things, of all the things he could have listed, these three things, and we'll see some more, but these three things he starts with, the shedding of blood, so we think of murder with that, and, and that certainly is, you know, a no-no, but the, 
That's a no-no in all civilizations. I don't know if there's any civilization that's ever had an open rule on, on murder that you can just murder everyone and anyone you want at any time. I would think even if there was a civilization that had it, they'd still have a law that says you can't murder the king. Right? You can't murder the, the leader. You can't murder the lawmaker. Right? They certainly would not allow that. So I'd imagine that uh, shedding blood uh, is, is, is pretty well spread even without the scriptures. Right? So even in communist countries today, atheistic countries today still have not murder on there. So shedding innocent, shedding blood uh, was wrong. Uh, and you lift up your eyes to idols. So putting other gods before God, having idols, and, uh, and scriptures are pretty plain on that. And I think it's also talking broadly here as well. Shedding blood, there's lots of aspects of that. Uh, there's um, where you can defame someone's character and destroy their character and tear them down that way and, and, and hurt them that way and shed blood that way and, and many other forms of, of violence, verbal violence or physical violence, that I think would fall into that same thing. And also here where you lift up your eyes to, to, to idols. Scriptures say a lot about idols and lots of various idols. And while we may not have little trinket little idols as much today, we've got bigger trinket idols today that we adore and worship and put before God. And, and where is our heart, right? Where is our, where we put our, where our, our money is, is often where our heart is, right? And so where do we put our money? Where do we put our our emphasis, where do we put our time, where do we put our thoughts, what are we thinking about most often, and those really can become our idols, what, what really has our heart, which truly has our heart. And so idol worship, and again, that's kind of a common sense, if you're going to have any god, uh, he's going to have a rule that you shouldn't have any gods above me. I mean, there are some religions that have lots and lots of multiple gods, but the most limited, uh, gods are usually either selfish or jealous. Uh, gods, uh, declaration that uh, to worship him and him alone uh, is not so much uh, selfish or not at all selfish but he's jealous for our sake because he knows he's the only true God and he's the only good God all false gods or all satanic gods all other powers that we can have ruling over us are not good for us are not helpful to us he's the only one who truly loves us he's the only one who puts us first and has demonstrated that in becoming a sacrifice for us in our behalf and sending forth his son. And so he's the only God that deserves our worship in heaven or on earth or anywhere on this earth. And nothing else deserves our adoration and worship. So having idols also. And then also mentioned there, you eat meat with blood. And I think on the broad scale, he's talking about all kinds of things that the Bible says regarding things that we put into our mouths, so the diet that we eat, and that would maybe is one portion of a representation, but of all the things he could have mentioned, could have said you're eating pig or you're eating lobster or all kinds of other bats and swines and rats and, and cockroaches and all other kinds of scavengers of the earth, um, but of all the things he mentions that they're eating the blood. That's interesting because these things are also some of the things that are mentioned in, in the book of Acts in chapter 15 when when there was questions about uh, the validity of God's word maintaining. And, and he mentions these things came out there as well. The shedding, the eating of the meat with the blood. And the blood aspect of it, of course, there's lots of things that the scriptures talk about in eating. And, but the blood in particular, of eating the blood, because the Bible talks about the life 
being in the blood. And the life forces are in the blood. And, and that works a lot of different ways. We have the, the life-giving health principles are in the blood. It's keeping our blood clean and keeping our blood strong that keeps us healthy. Our immune system pumping through the, the blood system and, and uh, we get a, you know, a car accident and lose too much blood or some other way. We lose too much blood. It doesn't take a lot before we are in big trouble. We don't have to lose all our blood to be in big trouble. But uh, we lose a, a certain percentage and, and it could be death in not having enough blood. So blood is vitally important. And the blood, keeping our mind clear and keeping our organs working and everything, the blood is so important in us. But also the life is in the blood on the negative side. Things travel through the blood system. Cancers travel through the blood system. And so, so also in the animals. So animals that are sick and they're, when, when they're brought to a slaughterhouse or they know they're going to die or they, they're fearing fear or they're smelling the animals that have been killed before them, their adrenaline is going up, and that's all traveling through the blood and has an impact on the animal. And as that disperses into it, its meat, and then as we partake of that, that blood that had all that going on in it, all that adrenaline, all that happening, or if it was sick, it's not uncommon for, for farmers trying to make a profit, and very hard nowadays for farmers to make a profit. They got a sick animal and they think it's going to die soon. It's not uncommon for them quickly to bring it to the slaughterhouse before it's totally dead. So they can at least get something out of it. But of course, whatever was making it sick is still in its blood and still then transferred to those that eat the animal. And not only the sickness in it, but to keep the animals from getting sick, we're pumping more and more animals with antibiotics galore. And that's all surging in their blood and in their system. And then it's making us less and less resistant to diseases. We're taking on all these antibiotics from the animals. And so he says, you eat meat with blood. The Bible tells us how to eat meat. There are certain meats that the Bible allows. It calls them clean meat. Not that the others are necessarily dirty in the 30 cents, like with mud or anything, but he classifies it as clean meat. Certain animals, they have certain classifications. They have to have a cloven hoof, and they have to eat the cud, chew the cud. But even among those that are clean animals, he says, don't eat any of the blood. Again, the life is in the blood, and we think of, again, the aspect of the blood in the life of the Messiah, that he shed his blood for us, the importance of the blood sacrifice and the sacrificial system. Back to Cain and Abel. Cain offered a sacrifice that didn't have any blood. He brought fruits of his field. But Abel offered the right sacrifice. An animal had to die in his place as a substitute for the sinner. We see that with Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes Isaac up to sacrifice him under God's direction. And God stops him at the last moment and provides a ram in place of Isaac, a blood sacrifice. And in the sanctuary, all the lambs that were slain on a daily basis, the blood sacrifice. And so the sacrifice for us to receive forgiveness of sins had to be a blood sacrifice. The shedding of blood for us, dying for us. The Messiah becoming that substitute for us to make atonement for us. The Bible talks about the sanctuary, the mishkan, the temple, 
that was cleansed through blood. Not that it was physically cleansed through blood. If you ever tried to use blood as a cleanser, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> but symbolically, it would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant and on the curtains to cleanse it of the defilement of sin that had been placed there through our confessions. This is the life in the blood, our life-giving life. We have life and we have eternal life because of the blood. And so to be taking blood from an animal into our system, the Bible clearly says in several places not to do that. And here is just one of the places that he brings that out, that you're not going to inherit the land. And the illustrations I found here, one uh, chunk of meat turned into a gun and, and the pistol like this, really could be, it should be like this, right? Almost more a suicide than a, than a killing uh, as we eat the blood. And, and uh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, that McDonald's doesn't drain the blood before they serve their hamburgers. There are places, there are kosher places. We have uh, Joel's, a kosher deli, that, that the blood is drained from the animal, so it has to meet that classification of having a cloven hoof and chewing the cud, but also being properly drained of its blood. And so it's the way they kill it, that uh, quickly and humanely and draining the blood and hanging it up and draining the blood and then putting it through a process, the meat goes through a process to get even any other remnant of the blood out. And so it's pretty tasteless, but uh, gets the blood out of it. And so there's a kosher type of meat, a kosher process for the meat. And so this is one of the things they weren't doing at that period of time that God says you're not going to possess the land because of. And then he goes on in verse 26 and says, You rely on the, your sword, you commit abominations, and you defile another, one another's wives, should you then possess the land? So again, listing three things and saying, you're doing all these things, and yet you boastfully think, well, we're God's people. We should inherit the land. And it's amazing, again, today, how widespread it is taught that we can continue to do these things and somehow still enter into heaven. Defiling one another's wives, and that would cover all different kinds of sexual immorality, adultery and fornication and self-abuse and pornography and all various kinds of sexual abuses and immoralities would fall under that heading and horribly done. And, and we think of, again, this is among professed believers. He's talking about those who are thinking they possess the land and reclaiming Abraham as their father. And we look in America today and, and how many people would check on a survey that they believe in God and they believe in the Bible. And if all of those people that checked those boxes also followed through and the pornography business would be out of business. They wouldn't have enough money to keep going. The R-rated movies wouldn't have enough money to keep going. X-rated movies wouldn't have enough money to keep producing. It's among these same ones that are professing and, and yet not following. And you commit abominations, and the scriptures talk in the Torah and other places, lots of different various abominations that are abominations to the Lord. And this would be a covering under that title as well. And then you rely on the sword. Now the scriptures talk about carrying a sword, and there were many places where, where those that carried the sword were praised. We have David, and we have David's men, David's mighty men of valor, 
and how they slew this many with a sword and did this and did that and, 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 and won battles. So it's not so much the carrying of the sword that was a problem, but the relying on the sword. They were mighty men in their battles because God gave them the victory. We can rely on, like I have illustrated there, the, we can rely on the locks and bolts in our house. We can rely on our security system. We can rely on our alarms. We can rely on the police department. And those are all okay things to have. But our reliance is on God. That's where our trust is. That's where our faith is. It's okay to have doctors and nurses and medical institutions and use them when necessary. But even when we're using them, our reliance should not be on them. Our reliance is on God. And they certainly are not designed to keep us healthy. They're just designed to help us after we're sick or hurt. But they can't keep us healthy. It's the other verses that we saw that help us to keep healthy. It's the other scriptures that tell us how to prevent getting sick. Then it's okay to have a medical profession. You, you fall and break an arm. Accidents happen. And so it's okay to get a cast, but our reliance is still on the Lord in all things. Whether we need a plumber or an electrician or a lawyer or whatever situation we're in, our reliance, our trust, our faith is on the Lord. And if he chooses to do something in his own way, or if he chooses to work through a professional, he still gets the honor and glory and praise. And here, in this instance, and I think too often in our lives, we rely too much on our own abilities, our self-reliance as well. is a big problem as well. Relying on our own talents and skills and brain power and wit and intelligence to fix the situation, to solve the problem. But our reliance and trust need to be totally dependent on God for everything. Literally, every breath we take comes from God. Try breathing without him someday. The ability to think, the ability to drink, the ability to digest food, it's so amazing. Right? Give some food to a dead corpse. It just lays there, right? Without life, without God. Gives us the ability to do anything. And so everything, praise God. Baruch Hashem, bless the name of the Lord. Bless his name. Praise him for everything. For everything we have and everything we can do. Dependency on him. It's a wonderful place to be. To be surrendered and emptied and dependent fully on him. Humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. That's the only way to possess the land. He's not going to give heaven to those who are self-righteous and self-boasting, self-dependent. There's no room for self in heaven. That's what got Lucifer kicked out. Thinking we know our own ways, we know better than God. And when we think we know better than God, we make ourselves God. And we become the worst idol of it all. Verse 30. As for you, son of man, 
The children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word of the Lord comes from the Lord. Well, that's good. First it said they're talking, everyone thought they were going to be talking bad about Ezekiel. But they're talking and talking and saying, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Let's go to Ezekiel. Let's hear what God has. He was mute and now he can talk. Something's happened. God's done something. God's opened his mouth. He's got something to say. Let's go and hear what Ezekiel has to say. And that's good. Right? That's fabulous. And that's how we should be. Let's run and hear the word of the Lord and go and tell everybody. Go and witness to everyone. Go and say, come, come, beside the walls, beside the doors, everywhere we go. Come and hear the word of the Lord. And so they went forth as missionaries, as evangelists, went forth telling everybody, come, hear the word of the Lord. And they came to you as people do. And they sit before you as my people and they hear your words. So the message went out, come and hear the word of Ezekiel. God's opened his mouth. And the people came. And they came and they sat and they heard the words of the Lord through Ezekiel. That's wonderful. That's powerful. That's tremendous. And even God, uh, Ezekiel's message still comes from God. Right? All the messages have to come from God. Everything comes from God. The gifts and calling are from God. People say, I've got the gift of healing. I'm a healer, or I'm a this, or I'm a prophet. I'm a... It's all from God. We have nothing. We're nothing without God. It all comes from God. And so God was speaking through Ezekiel, and when God didn't want him to speak, he muted his mouth. May he do that to us, right? Like, keep me from saying anything you don't want me to say. And he opens his mouth, and the people came, and the people sat, and the people heard. Fabulous. But... They do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. So they came, they sat, they heard, but they didn't do. With their mouths. Oh, we love Ezekiel. Oh, we love the word of the Lord. But their hearts pursued their own gain. Doing whatever seems right in our own eyes. Doing whatever our heart desires. And our heart is desperately wicked, is deceitful, and above all things, how's that go? Our heart is corrupt and <laughs> desperately wicked. and It's horrible anyway. Our heart is horrible. Don't trust your heart. <laughs> heart is wicked. We need a new heart. We need a new life. That's why we need new. So we need to be born anew. Can't go by, well, I think so. I feel so. I've heard people say, well, my God wouldn't do something like that. My God would never be like that. My God wouldn't keep someone out of heaven for that. My God knows my situation. Well, that might not be the God of the Bible. Maybe your God knows that. <laughs> Maybe your God wouldn't do that. Maybe your God would do this. But God of the Bible does know what's best. And he sits in a position that he can see better than we can. 
He sees all things. He sees the heart. He knows the past. He knows the future. And he knows what it takes to get us to heaven. And that's what his focus is on. He's not an arbitrary God. He doesn't get, you know, feeling good feelings because we obey him. He's not on a power trip and he likes to see us dance around and, and, and just to do all his things. All the things he told us to do, the list of six in this chapter and, and all the things in the scripture are for our benefit. They're for our good. He wants us to be happy and he knows the only way we'll be happy is if we follow his ways. His ways are good. His ways are a blessing to us. His ways protect us. His ways give us health and strength and mind and body and soul. And his ways make heaven happy. And we'll be happy in heaven because we follow his ways. Heaven's not a happy place when we're doing what we think is best. Heaven's not a, a happy place when we're selfish. When we're doing our own gain. That's how we're all born. We're all born for our own gain. We're all born for self. Everything we do throughout our lives when we're outside the Lord is for our own self. Even when we do seemingly unselfish things, it's because we do it for ourselves. Marriage and having children is an unselfish thing. We have to give. But we'll still do it so that we can get something out of it. Have someone to hug us back. Have someone to, to laugh with. Have someone to show some affection back. Have someone to raise up. But it's still all self when it's outside of God. True love gives. That's the only way to have a true fulfilled marriage. When both sides are giving and not getting. But selfishly, we all, our hearts, pursue our own gain. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? And we bring that into the spiritual circles too. We come to God so that we can get to heaven. We give so we can get back. We give so it will be pressed down and overflowing for us. We're so filled with so selfish motives. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Sounds like a worship service. They come to hear the word of the Lord, and it's like music, and they hear lovely songs and pleasant voices. And we love to sing his praises. Some come for the sermon, some come for the music. Oh, we love to say, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Sing and dance. So he's describing here people who are going to services. He's not talking about the world, he's not talking about the Babylonians, he's talking about those who are coming to hear the word of the Lord from Ezekiel. Talking about religious people, people who go to services and hear, but don't do. 
So how is that happening? And how do we go from being just hearers to doers as well? I mentioned the Word of God, the laws of God, the principles of God are all there for our benefit. All there to make us happy. And you might be thinking, well, I've been trying to do all those things, and it ain't making me happy. I'm more miserable than ever before. I hate doing these things. This is hard. It's hard work doing this stuff. Can't do this, and I can't do that, and I got to do this, and everyone else is doing that, and I don't get to do that, and I look over, and I see them doing it, and it's not fair, and I got to do this, and they don't have to do that. They look a whole lot happier to me. Well, if that's our setting and that's our situation, it's because we're doing it for our own gain. We're doing it in our own strength. We're relying on the sword. We're relying on our self-will. We're relying on our ability to follow God. We're relying on our own ability to be obedient. And that's misery. That is the worst place to be. That's even worse than being out in the world and living in sin. Because then we're still living in sin and trying to be godly at the same time. It's a form of hypocrisy, right? The definition of hypocrisy is someone who lives one way during services and lives a different way all the rest of the week. So how do we bring our lives into harmony with God's word? That makes us joyful and happy and peaceful. Because right? it's describing people here who, who know it's wrong. Hear the word of the Lord. But buying music or books or DVDs or going to movies or watching them online or downloading them or on the internet or various different ways looking at things and reading things that are totally contrary to the Word of God. And again, all these things would be out of business if that many people who profess to serve God followed God. And the things we buy, where we shop, and how we live our lives, and how we spend the funds that God put into our possession, so how do we become true, joyful people in the Lord? How do we become glad in the Lord? Joyful in the Lord? Rejoicing in the Lord? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And God's word says that God's ways, his laws are not burdensome. So how do they become from not being burdensome? How do they become from being burdensome to becoming not burdensome? How do they become from being drudgery to a joy? Is when we start by acknowledging God loves us. That he's all love. And that he loves me individually. And that he loves us all corporately. And that everything he's written, everything he's inspired, everything he has done from the beginning of time till the end of time is out of love, unselfish love, unconditional love, pure love, with no hooks, no attachments. 
God is happy with us or without us. He's sad if we're not there, but he, he won't fall apart. If no one made it to heaven, he'd still be God. He'd still exist. His existence is not dependent on us. So everything he has is for us. Everything he does is for us, not for himself. So it starts by acknowledging that love. And then everything he's given, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And so if he says relying on the sword or eating the blood or whatever else is not for our own good, he's not withholding anything that's for our good. So it starts by acknowledging that. God, you love me, and thus these things are here for my benefit because you love me. Start with that. And then secondly, take the conviction. God brings us a gift of guilt, the gift of conviction. And then he'll give us the gift of confession and confess the sin. Confess, God, I really don't enjoy doing this. I really don't enjoy your ways. And that's just an indication I still have my carnal heart. Because my natural heart is enmity against you and hates everything that you wrote, everything you said, everything you do. And so I acknowledge, I'm not enjoying it, and thus it's my carnal heart. So take out that carnal heart. I confess that. I give that over to you. Take it away. And give me the gift of repentance to turn from it. And I think in our society today, and I'm talking our religious circles, that has become also too flippant. Oh God, forgive me, I accept your death, thank you. And then we continue on. This easy confession, this easy forgiveness, this free grace. Grace is not free. Nothing's free. It cost the life of the Messiah. It cost the blood of the Messiah. Nothing is free. He paid it, but it wasn't free. And it still costs us something as well. We have to turn in our old heart. We can't maintain and keep our old heart. We can't keep our life as it is. We can't keep our own gain. We can't keep our selfishness and receive his forgiveness and his love in heaven. There's a price that has to be paid. We have to turn over the old heart. We don't have a dual citizenship. There's no dual citizenship in heaven. We have to turn over our citizenship to this world. So we turn that over with confessing it. But as we read in the scriptures, Jacob wrestled all night long with God to gain victory over his sin. And what was his sin? He lied to his father. He tricked his brother so he can gain the inheritance and the birthright that was promised to him. And for that seemingly simple sin, he prayed and wrestled with God to overcome the carnal nature of Jacob that he was. God, I am a deceiver. God, I am a tripper-upper. I am a Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm selfish. And all night long he wrestled with that carnal, selfish, greedy nature. I didn't trust you. I didn't believe you. I didn't wait upon you. I moved out of my own strength to do it with my own sword, in my own way, with my own trickery. And he wrestled to gain the victory. Scriptures talk about a time of 
Jacob's trouble. We all need to go through a time of Jacob's wrestling over self. And maybe several times over several different areas of our life. When Peter denied the Lord, he just said simple three times. I don't know the man. Three times, that was it. How many times in our lifestyle and how we live, we're telling people all around us, we're not godly. We don't follow God. How many days go by in our, in our job that we're there that people don't even know we believe in God? How many of our neighbors don't even know that we believe in God? How many people we come in contact with at school or wherever don't even know we believe in God? We're denying them in our lives. Again, the things we buy and the things we do. The things we post. The things we write. The things we forward. Just denying three times. At a time where if you maybe professed, he would have been put on the trial there with him and been crucified at the same time. Had some real risk at that point, some real pressure at that point. Standing around a crowd of mob or set with blood in their teeth. Understandable, the denial there. And yet for that three words, I don't know him, three times, it says he went out and whipped, wept bitterly. And just, oh God, forgive me, thank you for forgiving me and going on. Yeshua himself, wrestling with his nature, the carnal nature that he put on, the flesh that he put on, wrestling against that, not for forgiveness of sin, but to not sin, wrestled so intensely, crying and praying and sweating, as intense pressure so high, blood coming out his temple. Not my will, but your will be done. Maybe that's why we're not gaining victories. Maybe that's why we're sinning and confessing and sinning and confessing and sinning and confessing the same sin over and over and over again. Because we haven't gone through a night of Jacob's trouble. We haven't prayed and wrestled against self and surrendering it to God. So we accept God's love. We confess the sin. And again, if we don't have a, a godly repentance, even that comes from God. We can't manifest that. We can't force ourselves to wrestle all night and cry. But Lord, give me true repentance. God, give me a hatred for the sin. Give me a hatred for this carnal nature. It comes from God. Give me deep conviction. Give me the scriptures describe it, the gift of repentance. Give me your gift. Give me the desire to change. Give me endurance in prayer. And this gift that comes from God. And then we accept his forgiveness by faith because of what the Messiah did in our behalf in dying for us. Or give me a vision to see you, to see what this sin, this denial of you did. Let me see how I killed you. How my sins are killing you. How I'm crucifying you afresh. And accept his forgiveness. And then accept his power. Accept his Holy Spirit. And maybe if we're still just doing the same sin over and over again and confessing, maybe we haven't received the power of the Holy Spirit. 
to give us victory. Lord, not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. Accept his Holy Spirit, accept his power, accept his victory. And when it's the Holy Spirit in us, obedience is not burdensome. Obedience is a joy. As David wrote, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. It becomes a joy to walk in the Lord when it's the Lord in us living out. And then we have a new heart and a new mind that's in harmony with God and walks with God. It's no longer in enmity against God, but is in harmony with God. Is in tune with God and plays his music and dances with him. And it's a joy to follow him. Otherwise, we're just religiosity and trying to work our way to heaven. It's misery. That's what he was describing here. In Luke chapter 8, verse 21, Yeshua said, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Miriam, also Mary, came to Yeshua with some brothers of his and Tried to get him to stop talking. They came to him. He was preaching in the house and talking. They said, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. He said, no, no, no. They're trying to stop me from doing what I'm doing. My real mothers and brothers are those right here. Now, they eventually came on board as well. But at that point in time, he said, nope. The real mother and brothers are those here who are following me. Those who hear and do. Not just hearers but doers as well. It's that combination. Bringing it together. Not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And that, again, is only by God's power. Both to hear and to do all comes from God. Because even without God, we'll just shut our ears. So it's God who gives us the ability to hear and God who gives us the ability to do. And in James chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So it's not just hearing. We can be hearing and miserable and not blessed and not happy and not joyful but doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. That's what we're deceiving. We're not deceiving God. And come and hear the word of the Lord and sing the praises and sing the songs and, and act all religious for God and all, even all week long, deny ourselves and be miserable all week long. We're not deceiving him. He knows our hearts, right? People use that, oh, God knows my heart. As if an excuse. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm living in sin. Yeah, I know I'm doing all these things that are wrong, but God knows my heart. Yeah, it's the carnal heart that got you to do those bad things. But it's the transformed heart that brings out God's graces and God's goodness. We're deceiving ourselves, thinking, oh, our good deeds are going to somehow get us to heaven. Lord, Lord. She said, there'll be many in the judgment day that will come saying, Lord, Lord, we did this and we did that in your name and in your behalf. He says, I don't know who you are. And shuts the door. It's not the doing. It's allowing God to do. It's the surrendering. Being dependent on him. 
relying on him, both for the forgiveness and for the doing, being empowered by him and transformed by him. So there's two ditches. There are those who hear and think that's enough. Oh, I heard and I said and I professed and I gave the word, I said the right words, and now I can continue to live just like everybody else and I'll still inherit the land. That's one ditch and God says, no, you're not gonna inherit the land. You're not gonna possess the land. Then there's the other side where we, we work and we work hard and we try and do, 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 do in our own strength and not in God's strength. With our carnal nature for selfish motives, and not a surrendered heart or a transformed heart of God doing it through us. Those are the two ditches. And Satan pops us from one to the other. In one area of our life, we might be doing, excusing our action, God just merciful and forgiveness, and the other side trying to work hard to make it. On one area of our life, another area of our life. But the real balance is accepting God's love. Accepting his gift of conviction, confessing his gift of repentance, his gift of the Holy Spirit to change our lives. That we hear and enjoy hearing and him doing it through us. That we enjoy doing it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So as we pray tonight, any area that God's spoken to your heart, maybe there's an area, maybe the list of six things that were in this chapter, maybe some sexual immorality, maybe various different forms, maybe some secret sin, maybe just in your mind, in your thoughts, in your dreams, you want to surrender that over to God. Maybe in your reliance on self, your reliance on the sword, the reliance on something other than God. Your own abilities or someone else's abilities. And maybe currently or in the past, you've relied on something other than God. And you want to surrender that to him. Or maybe the, what we put into our body and how we eat, maybe the blood or something else, and you've been excusing that away. And you want to surrender that. Or some abominations or some idols, maybe your self-idol or some other idol. Or some other sin in your life you want to surrender to God. Or maybe you've been thinking you're going to possess the land because of your good deeds. And you've been working real hard and you're hating doing it and miserable doing it. And your walk with the Lord is not a joyful walk. And you want to surrender that and confess that. Or maybe you've been confessing a sin and doing the sin and confessing the sin and doing the sin and confessing the sin and having a victory. And you haven't wrestled with God about it. You haven't gone out weeping regarding it. You haven't really seen what you're doing to God in relation to it. You haven't wrestled to gain victory over the sin. And you want God to give you a true hatred for it, a hatred, a disdain for it, that you won't get up from prayer until you gain the victory. God gives you a perseverance in prayer for that. And if that's what you're needing in a moment when we pray, ask him to give that to you and 
that area of your life. Or maybe you've been excusing your sins, continuing in sin because you're doing minimal religious stuff that you think is okay. God saw me give this little bit of money here or show up here to services here or then or sing these songs. And he thinks just my presence should show God that that's all that matters. But you're not doing the word of the Lord and you want God to give you the ability to hear and do with right motives and a right heart. So if any of those areas apply to your life or some other area that you're needing God to speak to you or bless you or heal you or help you, some other praise or some other rejoicing or thanking God for his love or maybe you haven't even had a vision of God's love. Maybe it's all been about the rules and laws and do's and don'ts. And you're missing the bigger picture of all of it's for God's, all of it's about God showing his love towards us and God's care for us. God's protection for us here and for eternity. And you want to ask God, give me a greater vision of your love. Maybe you just want to thank him for his love for you. Let's pray whatever applies to you that God do in your heart. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we do praise you for your great love for us. Thank you for the examples in Ezekiel's day and in our day. Thank you, Lord, you know our heart. Thank you for the gift of conviction and of guilt and, and of the gift of repentance. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. Work in our lives. And may we be hearing your word and desiring to hear it and read it and love reading it and love hearing it more and more. And may we search for you with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our strength and with all our might. Give us that kind of a heart, a heart after you. Take away our carnal hearts. Give us a perseverance and endurance in prayer. Give us victory. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your heart. Fill us with your life. And make us doers of your will. And send us forth telling others and witnessing to others and living as shining lights for you. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.